0: building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group, just text the two words Promise Keepers to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. Join
1: us in our conversation with Mark Batterson, best selling author, huge church in Washington, D.C., and a really good friend of mine who. He's such a humble and gentle uh, man. I think he is really a template for what a man of God should be. Mark Batterson is going to be a great conversation. How many times have we done this, Batterson? Uh, It's not our first rodeo. It is not our first rodeo. (laughs) We've done a lot of these conversations together. On camera and off. Yes. I want to talk to you about unity because you're about the nicest guy that I know. I mean, you really like people who see you. And I've had people ask me like Is Mark Patterson really that nice?" And I'm like, "Yeah, he really, he really <laughs> is that nice. You really are uh, a genuine guy." And yet, even so, you've taken criticism. First time I ever met you, we we spent like several hours together um, up above Evanier's coffee house, just hanging out. Yep. And you were talking about how how hurt you've been over some of the mail you've gotten and. We talked about it. It was like less than 1%, but even the 1%, it could be cutting and mean. (laughs) Yeah. So when you see that in the church and you see Christians attacking other Christians uh, who have no idea what they're going through, sometimes the major and the minors, what what do we do about that? When you look at the whole broad scheme of what we're fighting about in in this country and what we're fighting for, and we see, I was talking to Oz Guinness earlier today about, about the socialist forces and he, you know, with his political mind was talking about how dangerous that is. And yet when we see all the wickedness, we see one and a half million babies a year being killed in this country. And then, you know, you write a book called Circle Maker, which is a great book. And people write you hate mail for it. What is that what does that do to you and how do we stop that as a church?
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, Ken, I mean I I have to remind myself that, you know, that book has Positively impacted millions of people. Right, right. And so I told you that. that, that yes, it. you did. You did. And uh and yet, you know, words hurt. And uh but the, the first thing that comes to mind is you ask that question. Um, I mean, you're kind to call me nice, um, but <laughs> But Mr. Rogers, would it not be fair to say that he's in a category by himself, you know, as being Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood? Do you know he he kept a, a little piece of paper in his wallet and I'm going to paraphrase it, but it basically said there's no one you couldn't learn to love if you just heard their story. If we would take time to listen to each other's stories, the, the challenge is. Well, for starters, we've been socially distanced and distance demonizes. It's so easy. When you're face to face with someone, it's a different game. It's a different dynamic. That's true. You know, we're sitting here face to face. It's even different than it would be, you know, if we were on a Zoom call or something else. But with social media, it, it just seems like it's so easy for people to uh, troll and bait and shame and basically, you know, one strike and you are out and it's not healthy. It's not holy. And so now I, I should say this, Ken, it shouldn't be surprising because we we were born on a battlefield between good and evil. We We live in a fallen world, a broken world. But I really believe that as a Christ follower, I'm called to stand in the gap as a peacemaker, grace giver and tone setter. And so that's kind of my my mindset. But, but I'm talking to you on a good day, <laughs> uh, uh, on, a, on a bad day. You know, I, I have to, I really have to work hard like everybody else to find my identity in Christ and in Christ alone. And if you live off of compliments, you will die by criticism. So be careful one way or the other.
1: Yeah. Who was it who said never take criticism for some from someone from whom you wouldn't go to for advice
2: huh that's uh i'm I'm having to stop and think about that live podcast because that's uh that's pretty profound i i think you do have to you have to consider the source Mm -hmm. and i I, no one's above rebuke, like i I mean listen as soon as I am completely sanctified, I'll let you know, but I wouldn't hold your breath, so it's this idea that I need to take uh constructive criticism, but you have to consider the source yeah, and and ken is it is it coming from a heart? that really has my best interest at heart or is it someone that's just projecting or venting or honestly, it's hurt. They've experienced somewhere else that gets redirected um, towards other people and hurt people, hurt people. Right. And I think forgiven people, forgive people and healed people, healed people. And, and so it's so much about how am I doing? How, how am I, um, how is my relationship with the Lord? Am I reacting uh, or am I living proactively? So what, what an interesting note to start on.
1: I, I told you, I want to, you know, I want to get right into stuff. We have 45 minutes yeah. together. You know, people are giving us their time. They're on, they're, they're on the road or they're sitting there watching this on YouTube. And so I want to make sure that everything second is valuable. I don't want to sit here and talk about Yep. cotton candy yep. Plus, i don't do that anyway I mean, <laughs> yeah how many times have we been together do we ever talk about anything frivolous
2: no i mean it gets it gets pretty deep pretty quick
1: yeah except we do talk college basketball congratulations to the baylor bears the baptist one yeah no doubt <laughs> i mean they just they came
2: out of the locker room hitting three pointers dude that that was not even fair I I, it mean, was kind of unbelievable i, I mean felt you, bad for you, gonzaga you know, I played a little bit of college basketball. University of Chicago. Yeah, I, I was a, uh, I, I was a first team All American and double C double A. Uh, the extra C stands for Christian.
3: <laughs>
1: so, and I played for uh, George Fox and we were ranked number one, I think the same year that on. you were playing yes. versus Chicago and yeah. in, in the NCCA. Hey, yes. Yes.
2: <laughs> and, but, but let's just, can the older you get, the better you were. And some
1: people are chuckling right I'm now. Batter, I'm going to be better. I'm going to be Batman. In another. <laughs> but what, you know, let me ask you, why is it? as you know i i didn't come from the normal route into christian leadership and so i didn't major in you know what calvinists are and arminians are and and all these different things as we've talked about many times and i don't understand why people get so exercised about some of this stuff you know talking about unity there's no end to what people can be upset about and you know as we were talking about. If someone speaks in tongues and someone else doesn't speak in tongues, why do they have to be angry with each other? Why can't you just go, well, you speak in tongues and there's the Bible talks about there's a gift of tongues and I don't happen to have it, but you have it. Great. Why, why are we so angry with each other about all these things, all these factions? I mean, well, you're you have a mega church in Washington, D.C. You, you have one of the most difficult spots because you're you've got the world around you the world of politics you've got all this stuff going on you're a best-selling author so you really are sitting at the epicenter of all that division how do you mm. hold it all together and what's the what's people's problem do you ever just want to go dude what why are you so angry
2: <laughs> uh yeah i mean i i think there there is a there is a lot of anger. There's a lot of, you, your focus is going to determine your reality. And if you are focused, if you're looking for something to complain about, you'll find it. If you're looking for something to praise God about, you'll find it. Um, even when it comes to relationship, are you focused on the things that unify us, that bring us together? What can we agree on? Um, can we, we have four principles of peacemaking at NCC. Uh, one is ask anything. Two, listen well. Three, disagree freely. And four, love regardless. Like that's our MO. And it seems like we have forgotten how to agree to disagree. I, I bet, I bet we have a handful of theological things that we don't agree about, but, but you know what, it doesn't affect our relationship. I guarantee it's we not <laughs> like, yeah. So it, it's, um, I, I think it's, you really have to fight for unity and that that's true in a marriage and it's true oh, yeah. in a church and it's true in a culture. Um, you know, uh, civility I think is public grace in the public square, and where did that go? Where did the extra measure of grace go? I, I think it kind of it went out the window somewhere. Where um, I I, I Job 11:6 true wisdom has two sides is kind of one of my mantras that truth is found in the tension of opposites and so I may not ag- agree with you but I need to understand kind of what you're thinking because it stretches my thinking and and then at the end of the day um I I love this guy Rupertus Meldenius what a name 400 years ago he says in the essentials unity in the non-essentials, liberty in all things, charity. And so this idea that love has to be this common bond and it's okay. Let's have a little bit of liberty uh, for one another in the non-essentials. And then of course you get into, well, what's essential and what's not. And I get that. But uh, at the end of the day, I think the first creed uh, was three words, Jesus is Lord. Can we agree on that? Um cuz I think Maybe. that's a
1: good starting point. The second one should be and I'm not.
2: Ah <laughs> uh, yes, thank you. I yeah that's wrong. so
1: good. That
2: that's so good. I yeah, wow. I guess that's flipping the coin. Yeah. It's very true.
1: <laughs> I um Yeah part of this, the problem with civility where it went was we've talked about this is the fact that you can now insult people without getting punched in the face right with <laughs> yeah. social media you know you're six foot three i don't know 205 yeah good call um you know not a lot of people are going to walk up to you and, and say you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny <laughs> right but they'll go on social media and say it yes and so that that we're, we're trying to wrestle with that as a society is that people the fools now have a voice yeah, the cowards now have a voice, the guys that can come up to you and say terrible things about you that they could never say to your face. Yeah. Right. And so we're learning to wrestle with that as a mm. society and as a culture. And I think um, one of the things that has to to come up from that is a clarity and thinking of who is our enemy. And so John Bevere and I um, have talked about this a lot, and he has a great way of saying <laughs> this, that. Part of holiness is hating sin. Mm. We need to hate sin together. And so it's if we're divided because I'm in sin and you're not in sin, that's different than what we're talking about. So everyone yeah. hearing us right now, if, if you know that I'm cheating on my wife and you come up to me and say, in love, Ken, you're cheating on your wife and it's a sin and you need to repent to turn around and I go... Well, I hate you now because, you know, you've pointed out my sin, which happens, right? Right. That's not division. That's you being a man of God and and loving me enough yes. to, to confront me in my sin. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about differences of opinion. The other thing that Bavir and I talked about a lot, because he and I do disagree on a lot of things theologically. And yet we love each other and we respect each other as brothers and as people who know scripture. He thinks you can lose your salvation. I don't think you can lose your salvation. Yeah. And yet both of us have agreed that either one of us could argue either side of that. Yep. I can absolutely make a biblical uh, case that you can lose your salvation or that you can't. My point is, is that God made it vague on purpose. Mm. He could have said, uh, point number one, you can't lose your salvation, but he didn't. <laughs> yeah, And I think there's a reason for that. Because yeah. George Whitfield and, and, and John Wesley couldn't agree. So who am I? right? So I can say, well, this is how I read scripture. John Bevere, that's how you read scripture. And let's, let's pray about that and sharpen each other and learn from each other. Why are we, Why do we have to be angry with each other? Yeah, that's a that's a great observation.
2: I, I think right now two things really really matter. One, words matter. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are a, a lot of things that are being defined and redefined. Yes, and that that worries me because um, I, I think words. Matter, but then I want to quickly say that posture matters that is it are we taking a humble posture? Are we taking uh, the tone of gentleness like I mean, when was the last time like gentleness was uh, uh, was championed as a virtue, but it 's one of the nine fruit of the spirit. And a, a gentle answer turns away wrath, and so no one wins a shouting match. can no one win, and no one hears each other and so can we kind of take this posture of really listening to one another um, and i you know I know we aren't going to solve the world's problems in one podcast, but (laughs) we're going to try though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the fact that, that the average person spends 142 minutes on social media, that, that means 15% of your waking hours are spent virtually engaging with other people. Now, please hear me. I, I, I follow a handful of people on Instagram because I love having a sneak peek in their life because they're people I love. And you know, and vice versa. And, and occasionally I'm interested in, you know, the latest tweet of, you know, friends and family who are doing this, that, and the other thing, but it, wow. Okay. I'm just going to go there and, and say it. I think that social media comes as close as we're going to get to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and what I mean by that is this, we weren't designed to know everything about everything all the time. And so we have all of this information flooding us and coming at us, but we're not God. Like we don't have the capability of like, I can barely keep up with my wife and three kids and our dog. And and now we're having to kind of monitor all of these different channels and all of these different voices. And I think it's, I think it's dangerous. It's, It's not just information overload. It's somehow diminishing our spirit and robbing our souls of something that is more genuine or more in person now that that's my sermon for the day
1: <laughs> is it is it sort of like i don't want to go too crazy with analogies so, so i don't want anybody to make me to think i'm doing I'm, I'm comparing the two but yeah. when you look at pornography you look at social media uh, in a sense they're both fake relationships mm. The relationships where you take what you want and you don't really ever have to give anything that you don't want to. And so it leads to an unhealthy uh, relation to human beings. Mm. When, you know, we talked about, I can criticize you without getting punched in the face, um, but we can also, I can I can take what I want from other people's relationships without their ha- having to, if I want to sit down with somebody And they're going to tell me about their vacation. They're going to tell me in their time and in their cadence and the way they do. Yep. um, And it may go on forever. And of course, I'm like straight to the point. So I'm like, dude, get to the point. You know, (laughs) on social media, I can just consume. Okay. He went to Naples, you know, next. Yep. Don't you think it's a little bit of the problem here is that we're we're living in an age where we're able to have relationships that aren't real. I feel like I know you, but I don't really know you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think. There is a lot of truth to that, and there's no substitute for just that, that good old-fashioned face-to-face, um, in-person relationship. And so, um, my mind goes in a couple of different directions, uh, and I hope this isn't too much of a rabbit trail, but... Well, you know, wisdom is of two minds, so that's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, in one direction, I'm thinking to my, myself, as a pastor my concern um and, and maybe an unintended positive consequence of covid is this that pre covid you could go to church check a box and check out monday to friday and I I think the only ceiling on your intimacy with God and impact on the world is daily spiritual disciplines. And so I'm concerned as a pastor that I would foster spiritual codependency. I know this this is kind of going in an interesting direction. No, I like direction. What you're Go, keep keep going down there. So, so um like I'm very cognizant of that as a pastor, uh, that that I don't want people to relate to God through me. No, it's through. There's one mediator. His name is Jesus Christ, and you have direct access to the Father. Um, and we approach the throne of grace with confidence because of what He accomplished on on the cross. And so on the one hand, like, I don't want to, I don't want people to have spiritual codependency, but then on the other side, I'm like, yeah, there are a lot of, just like there's news and fake news. There there are relationships and fake relationships. And I think there's a lot of that right now. And I, I think that there will be. Even as we come out of social distancing or and you know, and I'm in DC, so it's still a little bit more of a lockdown than some other places in the country. But I think the pendulum's gonna swing and there's gonna be this real hunger for real relationship. And that that's I think what the church offers. I think that's where we stand in the gap because that that is we offer a, a grace that is, right now, not seen a whole lot in our culture.
1: Mm. We, uh, we're we gonna take a little break. When we come back, um, I wanna hear about what, what are some of the favorite things you've written in books? Like what, you know, some of your favorite books, what you really loved, and then what are you planning on doing? What are you writing now? Yeah. Where are you going with it? I think I'd love for people to get kind of a sneak preview of of what you're putting out because you're, you're really writing some of the best stuff out there right now.
0: Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org.
3: As men, we're called to lead wherever God has placed us. Whether in your family, your work, your school, you have the God-given potential to transform lives and reach the world for Christ. That's why we'd like to encourage you to take the next step Invest in your own personal growth this Father's Day weekend by registering for the Promise Keepers Men's Leadership Summit. This free one-hour leadership event features internationally renowned leadership expert John C. Maxwell, along with ministry-focused entrepreneurs David and Jason Benham and Pastor Nick Garza. It also includes a Q&A lightning round with special guests Chad Veach, Dat Wynn Rocky Blyer and David J. Harris. And the Leadership Summit is just the beginning. You'll also have the chance to participate in a 10-day leadership challenge on the Promise Keepers app that will help you build healthy habits of godly leadership. Your family, church, community, workplace, all need you to become the leader you were born to be. So join us on June 19th for this transformative event. Visit promisekeepers.org lead and reserve your spot today.
1: So, talking to Mark Batterson, really one of my great friends, best-selling author of a bunch of books, the book that made you famous was Circle Maker, and I read that book way before I knew you. I remember my wife handing it to me and saying, you have to read this book. I thought, it was a gr- I thought it was a great book, but that was like your sixth book. And so, having written a couple of books, I know what that's like, you know, you, you, you get used to sort of a certain amount of sales and all of a sudden this book just, boom, and, and like you're a household name, and and I would go everywhere and see Mark Batterson books laying around, you know? And so. Did you know that the circle maker was going to be this huge seller? Well, I I would say that you never really know
2: whether I'm preaching a sermon or writing a book, Ken. What what I think is beautiful is God has a way of keeping you humble because you can't really predict. I mean, I've had books that I thought this thing is going to fly off the shelf and they don't. And other books that are just... um, wow it it hit a chord or it it, you know it hit a note and so i did have a hunch about the circle maker you know i i read this uh, it's a true legend about honi the circle maker in the talmud that uh there's a drought in israel in the first century bc he draws this circle in the sand kneels in the circle and Praise this prayer. Sovereign Lord, I swear before your great name that I will not leave this circle until you have mercy on your children. And it was such a bold prayer mm. that I thought, I, I think this might resonate with people. And so, um, but but even so, Ken, I mean, a, a pleasant surprise that, I mean, a decade later, that book continues to sell like it came out yesterday. I, I, it's a little bit of a mystery to me, but I, I will say that from the first book I wrote, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day... Um, I recruited a prayer team and I said, would you pray mm. that these books get into the right hands at the right time? And so I can genuinely say, I don't see a book sold as a book sold. I see it as a prayer answered. Yeah. And that to me is where the miracle happens when it's the right book at the right time. And then it can actually change someone's life.
1: I, you know, I said it to my agent you know, recently about the book that I'm working on now. I'm like, I don't care about selling books. I care about people reading the book. You know, it's got to be a message from the Lord, and it changes lives. Because lots yeah. of people buy books and then they throw them on a shelf or they yep. give them away. And um, I, I don't want to be a writer like that. I want to be someone that people say, I, "You got to read that." You know yeah. what I mean? Because it's got yep. real truth in it. Yep. Yeah,
2: Ma- making every word count. And so when when I write. And I, I mean, I probably should share this, that when I'm 22, that's when I felt called to write. But I, at the same time, I took a, a graduate, I was in graduate school and I took an assessment that showed a low aptitude for writing. So in other <laughs> words, whatever you do, don't don't write books, don't inflict that on the world. And so, you know, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. Mm-hmm. And I, I, when I write, I literally, I take off my shoes because I feel like it's holy ground and then i i sit down and i don't type on a keyboard i really feel like i obey god with 26 letters of the english alphabet and i don't want to over dramatize it but it so I, do you like handwriting it or what do you no, mean? no 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 i i literally oh, okay. with the keyboard i'm i'm i feel like i'm taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. Second Corinthians 5. And it's, it's a labor of love. You know, the feeling it's hard. I mean, it, it is not easy. It's setting your alarm clock early in the morning. It's fighting deadline. It's the pain of editing, Mm -hmm. but, uh, that finished product, I feel like then I just, I put it in the Lord's hands and say, God, you, you know, who needs this book. And then the beautiful thing is the Holy spirit takes it from there. And you never know when or where or how God's going to use a book to impact someone's life.
1: Okay, so let's start with the negative first. Have you written anything you regretted like, or you wish you would have said a different way?
2: Well, I mean, that's so funny because I, I, it took me 13 years to write the first book. So I was 35 (laughs) when I, when I wrote in a pit with a line on a snowy day and it was so frustrating, Ken. And I look back on it now and I'm like, Lord, thank you for your grace. Cause if I had written a book at 22, I would have had to write a book at 23 to take back what I said at 22. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, there are books that you, you grow and your thinking evolves and you mature. And so, you. I, I look back at what I wrote, you know, 14, 15 years ago. And, and you know, I, I would probably say it a little bit differently now, but that's where, hey, everything is time stamped. And you just. So, there's nothing major.
1: There's nothing like, oh, dude, I missed that one. I,
2: you know, I don't. I don't think so. Okay. Um, there are title, there are books I would title differently and there are things I would say differently, but you know, at the end of the day- Your books are pretty cool titles. You, you do it. Well, thank you. Yeah, you did a pretty good job, I think. Thank you.
1: Okay, so positive side of it. Yeah. Um, what are some of the favorite things you've written? Either books or just phrases or things you really felt like the Holy Spirit really gave you an insight that you're really excited or proud of having put on paper? Mm. Well, I certainly,
2: I mean, I'd love to talk for just a minute about about the latest book, Win the Day. But let me let me come back to that, you know, because I'm having a flashback right now. When I was 19, I, I heard a guy named Sam Farina preach. Uh, out of a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Beniah who chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and killed. I remember listening to that message, Ken, and my first thought was like, there's no way that's in the Bible. Like what? That is so cool. And uh, my second thought was if I ever read a book, like I'd love to write a book about that one verse. And so, I mean, it's crazy to me that in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, and then the sequel, Chase the Lion, are two books that are really written on one verse, one obscure verse in the Old Testament, but but it's so inspiring. It's this idea of don't, don't run away from what you're afraid of. You know, run to the roar. You, you've got to go after those 500 pound dreams. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. And so if, if there was a life message, you know, I can't get a tattoo right now because it would be perceived as a midlife crisis. But if I did, I'd probably get a chase the lion tattoo um, be, because it really is kind of a life mantra or life message. And so I, I think those books are pretty special to me. Um, those first two, yeah, they, they, you know, those are books that continue to resonate and and pass the test of time. Um, yeah. And then when the day is kind of the, the latest book and I'll, i i you know, we're doing this podcast. Can we share? Or is this an
1: undisclosed location? No, oh, man. Yeah. You got you to gotta tell them where we are. They're, <laughs> they're going, where is that?
2: Yeah. Right. So, you know, we uh, we're up here on an upper floor of the Museum of the Bible uh, right here in D.C. Well, it's so it's kind of in floor, yeah. it's kind of in my my backyard. You know, I'm just on the other side of the Capitol.
1: I will be at your Ebenezer's coffee yes. house tomorrow having a cup of coffee. Come on. I yeah. love it. I love I it. I expect a free latte. All right. Let me see. Cause the last time can... I was there, I got trapped in your elevator.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. And so let me, here's the elevator pitch. Here's the yeah, elevator go. pitch. Uh, good setup. Yeah. That's uh, you're like, brilliant. So you're like you're so author. good at this kid. <laughs> um, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is mystery. You have to win the day. I it really is an approach to life that, uh, not just a good thing. I think it's a God thing. You know, give us this day our daily bread. His mercies are new every morning. Uh, This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice. You have to live in daytight compartments. And so, you know, because it's the latest book, it's probably what I'm most passionate about right now. But I I have found during the craziness of COVID, man, you got to stay locked and loaded in your daily habits, your daily disciplines. And if you don't, I mean, you're you're gonna be in trouble. And so the, the the premise is pretty simple. Almost anybody can do almost anything if they work at it long enough, hard enough, and smart enough. And so, can I I love to ask the question, can you do it for a day? What whatever habit you're trying to make or break, can you do it for a day? I've never had anybody say no. Like anybody can do anything for a day. And so the problem is we get so overwhelmed by, you know, a New Year's resolution instead of just. You do the right thing today and then you you do it tomorrow. I think that's called a winning streak. And so it's a book that kind of reverse engineers goals into habits and uh hopefully it'll help people win a few more days than they lose.
1: I gotta tell you my tattoo story. Okay, I want to hear it. I don't have any tattoos. <laughs> um because I'm married to a very godly and wise woman. But when I was on the LAPD, we got a radio call of a car being stolen. It was in the act of being stolen. And so we weren't that far away. So I hit the gas and, and as they're uh, coming over the description of the car, and then I see the car turn in front of us. So I, I light him up and the guy stops, takes off running. You know, we, we jump out, tackle him, handcuff him, throw him in the car. And I'm like, well, actually the, the guy where the, where the guy lives is like two blocks away. Let's just bring his car back. So I jump in the car. It's like this old Mustang too, yeah. you know, and I drive around. So the guy is literally in his driveway, still crying. What? Like he's in the, he just saw the car get stolen yes. like 60 seconds ago. Yes. And then the cops come pulling up with his car what? and I jump out. I'm yeah. like, this is your car. He like, he said, my insurance just lapsed like two days ago. I have no insurance No, because I was freaking out. I can't believe it. So he tells me i'm i'm like the tattoo artist of the red hot chili peppers no and like oh like this is 1991 92 yeah yep. so he's like you know all the famous guys that get tattoos come to me he goes officer whatever tattoo you want it's on me
2: get out and
1: he goes and i i started like two thousand dollars which you know wow. 30 years ago oh yeah and so i go to my fiance then yes and i'm like i'm gonna get a tattoo come and on she's like no you're not no you're Tattoos not are for losers yes <laughs> come on oh my goodness and and, uh, and i remember thinking oh we're going to be married and my body's not my own yes and now that i'm almost 54 i'm like <laughs> i'm really glad i don't have a big giant whatever on my shoulder oh <laughs> man that's pretty funny
2: that's pretty funny I, you've got a few of those stories I a lot I of those I stories bet. Bet. yeah wow
1: wow yeah so when's the book come out when's your deadline well
2: uh, when the day is out, kind of hot off the, hot it off the press, out. it is out. Did you bring me and, a sign uh, Oh man. Okay. Oh, you just, have, you just, yeah, you got me. I, I, you got me. I, Ebenezer's tomorrow. I, I feel like you just, you pulled out the LAPD and just put me in handcuffs <laughs> and I got busted. Um, I'll get you one. I'll get you one. Um, so, it, yeah, in fact, tomorrow. with That'll Along with that book. latte. I'll read it
1: on the flight.
2: And it reads better with caffeine because everything does. So.
1: I agree with that. Yeah. Um, so, let me ask you this. I mean, so, going back deep because we've been shallow enough for like five whole minutes talking about tattoos. And and um, you've had a lot of success writing books. And I know that you've had some people be resentful of the fact that you've had some success. You, it's not money that you earn through the ministry or being a pastor. You sold books, you signed contracts, you did way extra work. We've already talked about how hard it is to write a book. It's it's a lot of work. You've reaped the rewards and then you have people rip on you for it. Right? <laughs> yeah. So you have, you know, in the church a poverty mentality of yeah. people who think you should never have anything. And then over here, we have people who have private jets and lots of houses. Mm. And a lot of those people, they wrote books. I mean, um, we won't mention any names, but you know who I'm talking about. They've sold 50 or 60 million books that paid for the private jet and all that stuff. Where do you find a balance in that? Like like the people are listening to this going, you know, you, you suffer for Christ. I know that the lifestyle that you live, it's pretty modest. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not flying around any private jets. Yeah. Um, where do you find a balance on that? Like yeah. Christians, the poverty mentality versus if you're really, really successful, you've earned the money, and, and even if yeah. you give fifty percent of it away, and you're still making thirty million a year in in business. Where, where how do you come across it with as a pastor? How do you counsel yeah. people on that? Well.
2: Let me preface it with everybody ought to have a few quotes that they quote all the time. And for me, one of them is an Oswald Chambers. It's always he, a good one. He, it any, is. It, any of, yeah. Any of. I mean, my utmost for his highest is I don't think there'll ever be another devotion. There's another book to have it.
1: on your nice. And besides the Bible, it's that my yes. utmost for his highest. Absolutely. Chambers.
2: And so Chambers said, let God be as original with others as he was with you. And so, Ken, I have to be really careful that I don't stand in judgment of your lifestyle or vice versa. But I will say this, I'll make no apologies for this. God doesn't bless us to raise our standard of living. He blesses us to raise our standard of giving. And so, you know, my wife and I have a publicly stated goal of eventually reverse tithing, living off of 10%, giving 90%. And we, uh, I mean it's on record so I might as well tell you. I mean I I think one reason why the Lord blessed the circle maker is that with that book, you know, we started, you know, 10 10 90, you know, we would tithe and then we went double tithe. You know, before that book, we we said let's go 50 50 and see what the Lord does. And um and we're we're past that. Um wow. and so you know, I think we Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Our greatest joy is giving stuff away. Mm. And so we're, we, uh, you know, until a couple of years ago, I drove a, a Honda Accord, a 95 Honda Accord with 240,000 miles, but I'm not judging anybody that's driving the new nice car. And I, I now drive a 2016 four uh, runner. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a mid-level vehicle and, I occasionally eat it that, you know, I once wrote about a dinner that I had at the Cheesecake Factory. Can you believe this? Someone wrote me a letter and got so worked up over it. What are you doing eating at the Cheesecake Factory? Wow. <laughs> and so, listen, I just have realized, Ken, you you can please all of the people some of the time, some of the people all the time. But you can't please all the people all the time. So it really is. It's it's living according to your conscience, and your convictions and i'll just kind of leave it at that i you know i'm just we have four family values humility gratitude generosity and courage and i'm i'm not perfect at any of them but i'm i'm a work at progress in those four things and and generosity is one of those four and so our heart all the toys go back in the box at the end of the game. And mm-hmm. so, like, mm-hmm. let, let's, be, let's be living generously and giving away our time, talent, and treasure. So that, that's kind of our heart. And, um, you know, I've led long enough to know people will question your motives and question your heart. And that's why years ago, Ken, I defined success for myself. And it's this, it's when those who know me best Respect me most. I, I'm not worried about what people I don't know think about me. You have, you have better things to do with your time uh, than, you know, worry about who I am or what I am. I care about my wife and kids. And at the end of the day, that is success.
1: You can count me as one of those. And I know you well and I respect you a lot. Thank you. Um, And I think it's well said, you know, it's interesting because we all have our own value system. And so for me, um, I have a friend of mine who um, he works for a company, but he gets to take a private jet with the company, but then he has to stay at a hotel. That's like the holiday end level, like cheap hotel. It's really weird. So he's flying a private jet, but staying in a crappy hotel. Yeah. Now I'm the opposite. I I stay in hotels with decent beds that are nice, but I fly Southwest airlines. Yep. Right. And uh, people are like, why do you fly Southwest airlines? I'm like, Know, it's good enough for me i mean i got status yeah. i get like two bags of peanuts <laughs> yeah like sir oh you're an a-lister would you like an extra bag of peanuts i and love it i yes. like i look around like yeah two bags of peanuts. but big time but you know i mean so we all have our values yes. and so people someone could look at me and go well, gosh you're staying at the the jw marriott uh, is a christian leader and yes i am and i flew southwest airlines to get here yeah you know what I mean? yeah
2: yeah yeah and You know, let's, uh, let's be really, really careful to uh, each one of us spend a little bit more time looking in the mirror Mm. and a little bit less time, you know, worrying virtually about other people. And, you know, so much of it, the comparison game, no one wins. It either results in pride or jealousy. Mm. And so I am going to stand before my Lord and savior. Now, the good news is I all stand in the righteousness of Christ. And so I, you know, everything, I'm I'm not defined by what I've done wrong. My past is forgiven and forgotten, and I stand in the righteousness of Christ. And so I, I think each one of us has to steward the time that God gives us, the treasure that God gives us, the talent that God gives us. Can we have very a very different skill set. We have a very different, you know, set of talents that we leverage for the, the kingdom. I, I mean, and I can't steward those for you and you can't steward those for me. And so here, here's kind of my thought that I go back to all the time. Never has been, never will be anyone like you. Not a testament to you, a testament to the God who created you. And, and so the significance of that is this. No one can worship God like you. No one can lead like you. No one can love like you. And I, I hope everybody listening to this takes that personally and takes it seriously and then says, all right, I'm going to be a steward with what God has given me.
1: 2 Corinthians 5.10, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded for the deeds done in the body, whether good or worthless. Mm. So, uh, you know, you like to carry on some quotes. Uh, yeah. I do, too. And uh, Jonathan Edwards said, resolved to be as to spend my life making myself as comfortable as possible in the next life Mm. because jonathan edwards famously studied the bible 14 hours a day wow and you know i i do believe the judgment seat of christ will matter Mm. and that the 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 rewards that we've earned for ourselves here will matter in eternity yeah our sins have been forgiven yep but i think christ is pretty clear that what we do after we receive salvation yep. makes a difference. And no I think men are, a lot of the reason men are checking out of the church is because they don't understand, oh, what I do with my life actually matters. Yeah, Really does. And, yep. and in judgment, someday we'll stand before Christ and he'll say, your sins are forgiven. Now what do you do with what I gave you? Yeah, And I want to be able to hold my head high and say, you know, one of the great, I know uh, you, you've read Chronicles of Narnia. I've read it to all, all my kids. Love that series. I, I don't know that there's a more, at least at my intellectual level, <laughs> there's a more telling example of who God is, the nature of God. Yeah. But I love the scene where where Lucy is is turning the book, and it's all these insights into her life. Mm. And as she's turning it, all of a sudden she sees Susan. Her sister, and she starts to look into Susan's life, and also she hears this roar behind her. Uh, I think it's a roar behind her, a roar from the book or something. Yes. And it's, that's not your story. Wow! And so many of us spend our time worried about other people's story instead of our own story. Wow! Wow! I mean, that's Ken. What a
2: retelling right there. I bet. I mean, this is this is. uh, I bet there's a lot of guys. Ken, would you read that series too? Well, I, I interviewed Oz
1: Guinness this morning, so i like, I've got C.S. Lewis, and you know, the whole British thing. On my yes, own. right, right. I love it, man. That's such a
2: that is so so good, and and may we someday hear our heavenly Father say, "Well done, good and faithful servant."
1: As we wrap up, is there any last thing you want to say? We talked about unity and we, we've kind of come full circle and talked about jealousy and and then we're talking right now about personal responsibility after salvation um mm. sounds like another book for you right uh, <laughs> you know i we have we've kind of walked all the
2: way around the block I, I might just share you know i've learned so much in the last year because it's been so hard to lead i mean leadership yeah. is really hard right now uh, between racial tension, political polarization, and a COVID crisis mm. really hard. Um, I might share one other thought with uh, everybody that's listening that I, I really helped me. We, we've got a guy who uh, attended our church, who worked at the White House, just a, just a few doors down from the president, um, uh, director of Homeland Security, counterterrorism uh, intelligence. And this was and so, under, under Trump. Um you
1: said he do did, it. so I assume you he, mean. he
2: did in a previous administration. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> okay, and uh, you know this is public. You record are a right? pastor in this, DC. Yes. So you do have to be. Yes, this is, uh, and I've been here for what now? Is this the fifth administration? Maybe something like that. But um, he, he said something. So he's he's his job is crisis management. And, and by the way, in the last year, I think everybody gets an honorary graduate degree in crisis management, yeah, right. even parents with kids who couldn't go to school or whatnot. I mean, it's just, but he, he said something to me, cause I, I always try to tap leaders in kind of different industries or environments. Mm-hmm. And I said, tell me, how do, how do you lead through crisis? And he said, here's my MO. I reserve the right to get smarter later that that is i have employed that a time or two or ten <laughs> over the last year because we're all past our pay grade we're a little off the map i mean we we don't even know what new normal is going to look like at this point and so In the last year, I've never felt more dependence upon the Holy Spirit, and I reserve the right to get smarter later. And so, Ken, that's kind of been my mindset and heart set as I try to lead a church uh, in the capital city here in DC. And it's it's not a bad mantra uh, when it comes to any kind of leadership anywhere.
1: Good stuff, man. Love it. Thanks, brother. Hey, fun. Yeah, it was good. Thanks for listening to On the Edge podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison.